0: some are running to the front and some are running to the back alright I like that I saw that I'm expecting you to pay special attention this morning that's good that's very good There was a family up front here where the Father and mother did a high five as their kids were heading out the back. Some of you were here two weeks ago and you realize that uh, the reason why we just finished playing that video is because we tried ending the service two weeks ago with that video and we had a little bit of technical difficulty. And so we decided we would start being back here again this morning after having been in Stephenfield last week. We would start the message part at least by by playing that video. I I really, um, and I know that it's hard sometimes to catch all the lyrics when we're listening to to it uh, on video like that, but the the words to that song are an incredible um, picture of what God intended when he came up with the idea of church. And so it was Tim Newfold and the Glory Boys singing, um, We Are the Church, and I invite you to Google that sometime. Apparently, I did something rather unique here that Sunday morning. We were all a little confused as we were ending the service, so I was standing up here with my phone, and uh, it looked like I was sending somebody a text. And uh, that's actually not what I was doing. I was actually trying to find the lyrics to the song because we couldn't hear them on the, on the screen. And so I, I, it was all with good intent. But it looked like I was, uh, apparently, looked like I was in another land uh, sending a text up here. So I, I apologize to those of you for whom that was a distraction. That was not my intent at all. Tim Newfold and the Glory Boys. We are the church. This is our church. Two weeks ago we asked the question, why would we serve in the church? Why would we spend time and energy and resources and gifts and talents and abilities, those that we think we've been entrusted with, why would we think by God, why would we want to use that, expend that energy in the context of the church? And we worked our way through Colossians chapter 1 and we took special note Of Paul's commitment. He uses words of commitment in several different ways. In Colossians chapter 1. And we took note of how Paul. How committed Paul was. And how his commitment to the church. Rises out of his strong belief that. The church is the body of Christ. And it really is a unique concept. If you allow that to sink in a little bit. The church is indeed The body of Christ. And he also believed that the church was commissioned, this body of Christ was commissioned to be the stewards, the caregivers, the caretakers of the greatest message known to humanity, which is that God wants to have a relationship with every single person, individual out there, and that He has done everything it takes to make that happen Through his son Jesus' death on the cross. And we as a church, as the body of Christ, have been commissioned to be the stewards or the caretakers of that message. And Paul says, if that is the case, if we are indeed the body of Christ and if we indeed have this commission given to us by God then I want to throw all my energy and all my effort and all my resources and my gifts and my talents and abilities, I want to throw that into helping that body of Christ be and do what the body of Christ was called and commissioned by the head, who is Jesus, to do. Paul continues his letter, we we took a look at that in Colossians chapter 1, and Paul continues his letter to this little church in a place called Colossae, and we're going to take a look at the next chapter, chapter 2 this morning, and, and it seems as though as Paul moves from chapter 1 where he talks about this this. the significance and the importance of of giving time and energy and effort into the body of Christ, into the church, he moves in chapter 2 into uh, adding to this challenge. He adds to that another, which he seems to indicate as kind of a crucial detail or a crucial bit of information. As you contemplate Serving in the church and giving time and energy and effort into the church, and as you hear people asking you to spend time and effort and energy in the church, here's a crucial detail to remember. It seems as though that's kind of what Paul is saying as he moves into chapter two. Here's something that you need to understand, and this is how we're going to verbalize it this morning. You need to understand the difference between a shadow and the real thing. Don't get thrown off by that, we're going to talk about that for the next little bit. So don't write me off, don't think that's weird. We're going to talk about Paul's challenge to the people to understand the difference between a shadow and the real thing. Now way back, is a straight, kind of a unique story, but for some reason I remember this. Um, Way back when I was in the, on the, growing up on the dairy farm and in the Holstein world, there was this guy, his name was Jerry Nadeau, and uh, he was a confident middle-aged man, um, some, of, some would even have called him arrogant, but he was, he was leading an organization called, not that this is going to matter to you, but humor me for a little bit, Elite Dairy Breeders. And our farm was part of that organization, and what he would do is he would take the best looking Holstein cattle from different farms in Southern Manitoba who were part of his organization. He would take them and he would travel with the the few very, very best from Southern Manitoba. He would take them and he would travel through Western Canada showing these Holstein cattle in different Holstein shows throughout, the the best Holstein shows throughout Western Canada. This is going way, way back. So he was traveling with a single axle, three-ton truck. And on the back of that truck he had the cattle and he had the hay bales, and he had the show racks kind of tied to the side of his truck, the, 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 the panels and, and, and everything that he used to set up when he got to these shows. And so he, he was traveling around Western Canada with this kind of unique looking outfit. One day as he's traveling, um, a DOT inspector stops him. And, uh, and the DOT inspector was convinced that the way he had this whole thing set up, um, his mirrors on the side of his truck were not sufficient in order for him to see what he was supposed to be able to see in the back. The way he had stuff tied to the side of his truck and stuff. So, uh, I already told you he was a confident young uh, middle-aged man, so he had no trouble informing the DOT inspector very quickly and very clearly that actually there was no problem with the way he was set up. And the DOT inspector goes, well then, let's, uh, here's, t- here's going to be the test. I'm going to go to the back of the truck, I'm going to stand right on the edge of your box, and I'm gonna point my finger in different directions and I want you to follow along by turning your blinkers the direction that I'm pointing. All right? So the DOT inspector goes and he goes right on the edge of the truck. He knows for a fact there's no way this guy can see him in his mirror. And he points, and he points, and he points, and lo and behold Mr. Nadeau sitting on the on the driver's seat, he's looking in his mirror and he's perfect. He gets it perfect. And so finally the DOT inspector goes, all right then, I guess, I guess, you're good. What the DOT inspector did not realize, is that there was no way the driver could actually see him in the back. But lo and behold, at that very moment, the truck was parked in such a way The sun was shining in such a way, and he was standing in such a way so that the shadow was being cast on the ground beside the truck, and the driver sitting and looking in the mirror was watching the shadow on the ground, and he followed along perfectly, turning his blinkers. The DOT inspector still doesn't know how he got taken that day. Now, we all know that that's a very, very unique situation. Because 99 times out of 100, the truck would not have been parked exactly in the right way. The sun not have been shining exactly at the right angle at that very moment. And the driver and the the guy at the DOT inspector at the back and everything set up in such a way so perfectly that actually the the shadow on the ground would, would have been decipherable enough that he was able to follow along. It just would never ever happen again. Because shadows are a long way from reality. There is a huge, huge difference between a shadow and what is real. You've seen it yourself. You've looked and you've seen a circle of shade moving across the grass. You don't know exactly what it's representing, but you know that there is something somewhere. And you look up and you see, ah, there's an airplane. Look at that. And you see an airplane with wings, and you see an airplane that has color and you see an airplane that's got numbers on it, filled with people, and it's moving across the sky. And you see the real thing. But the shadow was so far from the real thing. Or you walk across the grass and you all of a sudden walk into the shade. And you're not totally sure. There's just a big blob of shade on the ground. And you, and you look up and there, wow, there's a tree. And it's beautiful and it's green and it's covered with leaves and it's got branches. And it's spread out. It's amazing. The real thing is amazing. On the grass, all it was, was kind of a blob of, of something. Or you see it moving across the grass, and you look up, and there's a cloud. And the cloud has got color, and it's moving across the sky, and it changes color, and it changes shape as it's moving across the sky. And the reality is, it's amazing, and yet on the ground, it's just a, a blob. A blob of something. A shadow a shadow. And Paul says here that I he it's, it's imperative that you understand the difference between a shadow and the real thing. A shadow is fuzzy and distorted and colorless and lifeless and incomplete. It's only the shadow. Whereas the real thing, it's clear, it's proportioned, it's full, it's colorful. It's alive. After all, it is the real thing. Like I said, in Colossians chapter 2 here, Paul is passionate about helping the people understand the difference between a shadow and the real thing. And he uses exactly those words in verse 17, where he says, These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. I want to make sure, Paul says, that they understand the real thing. I want to make sure they understand what is merely a shadow and what is actually the real thing. Now, as much as we speak, and Paul did here in chapter 1, and we highlighted that two weeks ago, about laboring in the church and struggling for the church and the importance of the church, Paul's thinking, but i got to make sure they understand what is the shadow And what is the real thing? And as you start, you're going to notice real thing terminology as you read through Colossians chapter 2. Maybe the most significant of which you're going to see in verse 10 where it says, You have been given fullness in Christ. We could also say that a shadow is incomplete. It's not full. You've been given fullness in Christ. Christ, and I'd encourage you to keep that in the back of your mind as we go through the rest of the message this morning. You've been given fullness, completeness in Jesus. Nothing more needs to be added when something is already full. And then Paul goes on in the next 13 verses here in Colossians chapter 2 and he looks at comparisons. Paul highlights comparisons between the shadow and the real thing. And I'm going to say, in each case, I think there's some pretty significant modern-day applications. And I'm going to give you some of them, and I'm going to invite you to use your imagination to come up with some others. So the first comparison that Paul gives, or that he draws, where he's going comparing shadow to the real thing, is found in verses 11 to 14. If you have your Bibles here, I'd love for you to turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. I'd love for you to see it in your own Bible. Uh, It will also be up on the screen on the overhead here, so... Please follow along either in your Bibles or, or up on the screen here as I read. Colossians 2 verses 11 to 14. In Him, Jesus, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with Him in baptism and raised with Him through your faith in the power of God, Who raised him from the dead? You were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, and God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, canceling the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Now, I have to admit, uh, that I sometimes wish that God would have come up with a better Old Testament symbol of ownership or belonging to God than circumcision. It's just kind of a little of an awkward thing for us to talk about. Uh, and yet, for some reason, he came up with that idea. Uh, circumcision would be a sign of ownership or belonging to God. You can go back Genesis chapter 17. That's where it begins. And all of Abraham, all the men in Abraham's household were going to be circumcised. And for some reason, that was going to be a sign or a symbol that they all belonged to God. Belonging to God. That's what it was all about. And it, from there on in, uh, all boys, baby boys born at uh, day 8, they were to experience circumcision, be circumcised. And from there on in, that was going to be a sign that they belonged to God. They were children of God. Now, as they move through the Old Testament, and as they move through the New Testament, that, that ritual continued. And in some cultures, it still continues today. That was going to be a sign of belonging to God. Now, like I said, I sometimes wish that God would have had a different way of symbolizing that, but, but that's the one that's real in Scripture, in the Bible. That's the one that he, that he came up with. So in, in the words of this little section here, let's say it like this. The shadow is physical circumcision. The real thing is, for lack of a better spiritual circumcision. The shadow is the physical, the outward. What we do to ourselves to try to make ourselves more complete or more full To make ourselves more uh, clearly belonging to God. And as you move into the New Testament, Jesus first and then Paul, they begin to challenge this, this physical symbol, this physical act. And they begin to say the physical act is only the shadow. It's what happens inside of you. It's actually the death of Jesus on the cross. That's what Paul is pointing to over here. It's the death of Jesus on the cross that makes you a child of God. It's not something that happened to you on the outside. It's not the bloodlines that you're from. The family tree that you're from. The fact that you're a child of God depends solely on the fact that Jesus died on the cross and read these verses again and it's very very clear. So given our context what might a modern day application be? Here's one possible example. So by background history, um, we are a Mennonite church. What exactly that means can be debated. Uh, I wish the word Mennonite still meant what it did uh, hundreds of years ago when it referred to a radical commitment, unwavering, radical faith commitment to Jesus Christ regardless of circumstances, regardless of sacrifice and cost. An unwavering commitment to the truth of Scripture and a a strong belief that everybody is created equal and everybody is able to be a priest to everybody else. We don't need to have somebody who's higher than everybody else to pave the way between us and God. Unfortunately, by now, uh, the word Mennonite, for the most part, is not associated with a radical commitment uh, to Jesus and to the truth of Scripture. Unfortunately, by now, it, it's much more connected to a way of living, uh, a cultural or ethnic background, maybe even in some context it, it feels like it, it conveys the, the, the fact that you must speak low German, or, or you must eat certain types of foods, or you must get dressed in certain type of dress, um, and all kinds of different things, and, and not necessarily... Uh, bad things in and of themselves, uh, but so, so many of us are from, from that background. We are, quote-unquote, circumcised Mennonites. Then, praise God, we have many people who have joined our community and who have joined our church family uh, who are not specifically from a Mennonite background. Here's the problem. Uh, there are people uh, in our church family in our community, uh, from a non-Mennonite background, who sometimes feel like maybe they're less than, because we don't come from that same heritage or from that same background. Maybe our, our, our opinions don't matter as much, or, or maybe, uh, maybe we're just a little less than all those people who have this Mennonite circumcision, for lack of a better word. Um, And I want to stand up here today and I want to say, in the name of Jesus, and I mean that, No. Let me be very clear here today, physical Mennonite circumcision is a shadow. It's nowhere close to the real thing. We are all equally dependent, regardless of background, regardless of heritage, regardless of how long you have or haven't been walking with Jesus, We are all equally dependent on the death of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And being a child of God has nothing to do with being or not being of Mennonite background. That's part of the history of our church. There's great things that are a part of that history. But it has nothing to do with, your background has nothing to do with, whether you are or are not a valued child of God in the big church, and in this church. It's a shadow. The real thing is Jesus and His death on the cross, and that has nothing to do with family lines, or denominational lines, or physical acts done or not done to the body. Like I said, I invite you to make other applications, that's just one modern-day application that I would like to throw out there, regarding the shadow being physical circumcision The real thing being spiritual or Jesus and his death on the cross. Any belief that something outward or physical can make you be a child of God or a better child of God or or more of a child of God, if you believe that somehow that can come from the outside, then you're looking at a shadow, a blob of gray moving around that's nowhere close to the real thing. Let's move on to the next little section. For just a moment, we're going to skip over verse 16 and 17. We'll come back to that in a minute. And we're going to read verses 18 to 19. So that's one shadow, reality comparison that Paul makes. Here's a second one. Verses 18 to 19, chapter 2. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize, Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So what's the shadow here? I'm saying this carefully and respectfully and listen to the whole thing. The shadow here is a selfish preoccupation with visions, and dreams, and angels, and worship. And you go, really? There were people among them who were having amazing supernatural experiences, but in the middle of that, they were losing connection with the head, It says here, whom it was really all about. From whom the whole body, with all its different gifts and abilities and passions and connections, actually gets its life. They were focusing on the shadow instead of the real thing. They were worshipping their experiences instead of the one to whom those experiences were meant to point them. I will carefully say that visions and dreams and angels and worship are still just a shadow as compared to the real thing. I'm not saying these things are bad just like Mennonites is not not bad It's just that, again, there are inherent temptations that we must be aware of as we engage in experiential spiritual life. And as we tell stories about our amazing spiritual experiences, we need to be aware of some of the inherent temptations that come with that. See, when we have these amazing spiritual experiences, there is an almost automatic temptation... To ignore the needs and feelings of the rest of the body. I said temptation. To ignore the feelings and needs of the rest of the body. I mean I'm having such a great time. Just me and Jesus. That we can easily lose touch with the rest of the body. It's also very easy to. Become inwardly proud. Of what I am experiencing. If you check 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is speaking about this, and he is telling the people that he has had some unbelievable spiritual experiences. And at the same time, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he's talking about some of the real setbacks in his Christian life. We don't know exactly what they are, but he calls them messengers of Satan, these things that are that are bombarding him, that are causing him problems. And <coughs> <clears throat> and he's begging God to miraculously deliver him from these messengers of Satan, these setbacks in his spiritual life. And then he says, he comes to the conclusion that it is because he, had, it is because he has had some unbelievable spiritual experiences, he has seen some incredible things in the Spirit, and this is how he verbalizes it, these setbacks come because... Or he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. So it's important that we put spiritual experience into the right category. It's a a shadow in and of itself. It's a shadow. It's not the real thing. It's meant to point us to or help us believe that there is a real thing worth pursuing. And then I should quickly mention, there's another temptation that comes in this whole category, and that temptation comes from the other side. See, not everyone is gifted with these kinds of experiences. Not everybody is wired to do the experiential spiritual journey in the same way. Not everyone sees the way some people see, not everyone hears the way some people hear, And not everybody is able to tell about the experiences of seeing and hearing the way some of us can, or some of you can. So that then, the temptation for those of us that do not quite connect like that, that do not experience the way others experience, the temptation for us is to believe that then, we are obviously not at that same spiritual level. I guess I'm just not that spiritual. They've got something that I don't have, and I guess I just don't measure up. Maybe there's too much sin in my life, although I've tried to clean it all up. Maybe I'm just not reading the Bible correctly. Maybe I just don't know how to listen properly. But whatever it is, somehow I'm just not measuring up. And I want to say here today, that's the devil. It's the devil. Spiritual experiences, if you read through scripture, you're going to see it time and time again. Spiritual experiences are not an indication of spiritual vitality. You hear me? Spiritual experiences are not an indication of spiritual vitality. It's the way some people are wired, and that's totally fine. Not for a minute. The other temptation is to look at people like that and say, Oh, that's not real. That can't happen. That's crazy. No, 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 no. That's just as wrong. Those spiritual experiences are given to some people for the benefit of the body. To share with the rest of us. And the rest of us are are, are encouraged and challenged in scripture to rejoice together. To allow that to be an encouragement and a blessing to the body. It's not meant to diss. It's not meant to falsely elevate. It's a shadow. It's something that's meant to point us to the real thing. Oh, look at that. There's got to be something real around here. Ah, there he is, Jesus. But never is the experience the real thing. Let's be very, very clear about that. The real thing is Jesus and his body. Then Paul gives us a third comparison. And we're going to jump back to verse 16 and 17 and then down to verse 20. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink Or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon fest celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Down to verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom. They're a shadow. They have an appearance of, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they are a shadow. There's those words, again, that you read here. False humility, selfish worship, appearance of wisdom. Rules and regulations and observances. These were things that in their world had been very, very significant in their spiritual journeys. This is not... (coughs) He's not referring to all kinds of frivolous stuff that's unimportant. These were very significant things in their world. These observances and these these regulations and the way they did these things. They had been doing some of the stuff for generations. It was vitally connected to their faith journey. And here Paul is saying it's a shadow. Food and drink and other religious festivals and even the Sabbath day with all of its importance in pointing us to God and His holiness so clearly taught in the Old Testament. Really? Really? Now that's all nothing? And Paul, no, 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 no. I didn't say it was nothing. I said it's a shadow. It's only a shadow. It points to the real thing. It points to the fact that there is something much more complete and real and full and meaningful. And that is actually what you want to pursue. These are only valuable in as much as they point you to Jesus. Again, uh, significant modern day applications. Racing dirt bikes on Sunday, combining on Sunday, Drinking alcohol, observance of religious holidays, going to certain events or parties or weddings, or wearing certain clothes or music or movies or games, based on human commands destined to perish. Oh, many of these rules have a real appearance of spirituality, self-imposed worship, shadows. So many examples of this as you look around. I don't actually have to look very far, I look at myself, and the moment I look at myself, I see, I see what it's talking about. Many of you know, that for personal reasons, I've decided not to consume alcohol. And that's fine, I I think it's a good decision for me. But it doesn't take me long and I can come up with very good reasons why you should all think exactly the same way as I do. And it doesn't take me very long after that, and I can actually convince myself pretty quick that this is a right and a wrong issue. And then it doesn't take very long after that, and I begin to think that I'm actually a little bit above people who have made the opposite decision. And right about that time, I need to face the question, so Darren, what are you worshipping? Are you actually worshipping your personal decision? Self-imposed worship, an appearance of wisdom, false humility. It's a shadow. It's a shadow. Oh, many of these rules and regulations and observances that we we come up with or that have been a part of our past, they were there for good reasons. Great ways to do life, some, some of them. Helpful observances, many of them, to help point you to the real thing but in and of themselves, only a shadow. Remember how verse 16 starts? Take a look. Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. And so once again, the temptation comes, Oh, those guys, they've got it all together. They follow all the right rules and all the regulations. Ah, I have so many struggles and I can't get life figured out and I don't know exactly what to do with this and that. It's better I just stay sitting in the back somewhere. I just kind of, I'm just going kind to of, kind of be in the background. I'm going to try and kind of be, you know, at least make sure that I'm good spiritually myself. But, but I, I, I shouldn't really be up there with other people because there's so much stuff that I haven't yet got figured out. I still have so many hang-ups and vices and sin. I, I, I'm just not that spiritual. Oh, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Because your spirituality comes from that which Jesus did for you. Not that which you are doing for Jesus. Can I say that one more time? Your spirituality comes from that which Jesus did for you. Not from that which you are doing for Jesus. Jesus. And so you are, because it depends on Jesus. The real thing is Jesus and his death on the cross. And so it is with our call for you to get involved in the church. Don't ever forget, and don't let anyone convince you that somehow your righteousness and doing all the right things and at the right time and in the right way and being involved in enough things is somehow going to do something for you that actually only Jesus can do. All of those things are just a shadow. Your spirituality and your righteousness comes from that which Jesus did for you and for me and for all the kids that are downstairs right now and for all the youth, junior, senior, young adults, and for all the Mennonites and for all the non-Mennonites, for people who have dreams and visions and experiences and for those of us that don't, all the same, it was Jesus It's Jesus and his death on the cross. He is the real thing. And I want to encourage you with all my heart, pursue the real thing. I want to remind you of the verse that we read right at the beginning, verse 10. You have been given fullness in Christ. Fullness means fullness. Fullness means there's no more room to add anything else. You've been given fullness in Christ. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. Amen.